Good morning. My name is Stuart Davidson. I'm the pastor here at Eastern Shore Baptist Church. Thank you for tuning in to today's podcast. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website, www.myesbc.net. Of course, if you would like to visit us on a Sunday morning, you'll see that we have life group classes or Sunday school classes that start at 9 a.m. And our service starts every Sunday at 1010 a.m. Come by and see us. God bless you. And I hope that you are motivated to look more like Jesus through today's podcast. Let me just say this morning, I uh, had a gentleman come in my office and I gave him a hug and I said, when's the last time you had a hug? He said, man, it's been a long time since I've had a hug. I want to tell you this morning, I love you. Is that all right? Sometimes you just need to hear somebody say that they love you. I love each and every one of you, and if I could give all of you a hug, I would. Some of you certainly need it. I know it's good to get a hug sometimes, so I just wanted to let you know up front that I love you. If you will, you can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. We are finally done with Luke chapter 13. We've been in Luke chapter 13 for a number of weeks. We're finally moving on to Luke chapter 14. The only problem is the Pharisees are still in Luke chapter 14 as they were in Luke chapter 13. So we're still dealing with the Pharisees this morning. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14 verses 1 uh, through 6 this morning. Uh, So you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles if you would like. And last week we saw a a different view of Jesus. And growing up, I remember being confronted with an image of Jesus that might not have been entirely accurate. The world often uh, frames Jesus as uh, kind of boring, milk toast, weak, a pushover. And yet that's not a biblical portrayal of the Lord. The, the Jesus that I know was bold. He spoke truth to power and he stood obediently against evil and wickedness. Jesus was certainly a man of compassion. He was also a man of confrontation. He was a man of compassion, but he was also a man of confrontation. There are numerous times uh, throughout Scripture that Jesus has confrontations with all types of people from all walks of life. He confronted religious leaders. He stood toe-to-toe with Pharisees and Sadducees. He had confrontations with Romans He had confrontation with Roman elites. He had confrontations with Samaritan sinners. He flipped tables on worshipers and idolaters. He had exchanges with tax collectors. He stood against, many times, he stood against his own followers. Jesus was known to point out sins of prostitution and drunkenness. And yet, Jesus dealt with conflict seemingly everywhere that he went. And Paul one of the early converts to Christianity. He dealt with conflicts, and even Peter had his fair share of conflicts as well, especially with the religious elite. Friends, sadly, confrontation is a part of our life. Confrontation is inevitable. It's going to happen. There are times when we can mitigate conflict, when we can minimize conflict, and yet there are other times where conflict can be seen as positive, it can be seen as useful and informative, and many times conflict can be a tool of personal growth. It can help us become better people. Have you ever been confronted with a good news, bad news situation? Anybody ever come to you with a, I've got some good news and I've got some bad news? How many of you are give me the good news first kind of people? Wow. 
Got a lot of half, glass half empty kind of people in here today. Okay. Well, I heard a man, heard about a man who got a call from his doctor, and the doctor said, your test, are, your test results are in, and I've got some good news, and I've got some bad news. And the man said, okay, well, give me the good news first. And the doctor said, the good news is, your test results indicate that you have three days to live. The man said, well, that's the good news. For heaven's sake, what's the bad news? And the doctor replied back, the bad news is, is I forgot to call you yesterday. <laughs> that's what I call a confrontation. You know, every time we see Jesus being obedient to his call to go the Father's way, there seemingly is some type of a confrontation. He had confrontations with Satan, religious leaders, Again, his own followers, the same holds true with us, by the way. Like Paul on the road to Damascus, when we encounter Jesus, we are left irrevocably changed. We leave that situation being transformed. We leave that situation being remade, reborn, made new. And remember today that Jesus' call always comes with a confrontation. If Jesus is calling you, as he does, he's always going to confront that part of you that is fleshly. He's always going to confront the part of us that is sinful because he doesn't want to leave us in that place. He wants us to look like him at the end of the day. This morning, you can fill in that blank, if you will. It's on the screen. Jesus' call always comes with confrontation. He's always going to confront us. So this morning before we jump into Luke 14, for the past few chapters, Jesus has been dealing mainly with random followers and the Pharisees that are sort of tagging along with him. Even though he's been invited to the house of Pharisees before, Jesus takes this invitation that a Pharisee gives to him to come and eat with him as an instruction for his followers. And he's using this Pharisee in this teachable moment. He's teaching them a lesson. And what's more important, the lesson that he's teaching here, what's more important? Are people going to be more important or are policies going to be more important? Are people going to be more important, the eternal evaluation of a human soul, or is it going to be legalism? Is it going to be following a rule? Is it going to be follow, following some type of procedure? What's at the heart of God, sacrifice or obedience? And Jesus uses the ailment and illness of an unfortunate man to illustrate the point that God is more concerned with the person than he is the law. And yes, Jesus is technically breaking the Sabbath law, but he keeps the more important law of loving your neighbor as yourself. And this left a mark on the lives of the disciples, and yet it irritated the Pharisees. It irritated them. And so this morning, let's read together from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And I'm reading this morning from the English Standard Version. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Jesus is tired of having this discussion with the Pharisees. And finally, he just comes to the heart of the matter. Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Guys, what is your answer? 
but they remained silent. Then he took, then he took this man and he healed him and he sent him away and he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. This morning I want to discuss with you four lessons from Jesus' leadership. Four lessons from Jesus' leadership. And Roman numeral one is this. We see Jesus' invitation. We see Jesus is invited to the home of a Pharisee. And chances are Jesus had been invited to this local synagogue, excuse me, to, to speak, to teach, to preach. And this, by the way, would have been a very common thing in the day of Jesus. And chances are, after he was done speaking, teaching, and preaching, this Pharisee invited Jesus back to have lunch or dinner with him. He invited other Pharisees to join them. There were other religious people that came along. Naturally, Jesus' followers would have been there as well. And this wasn't done so much in the, with the idea of hospitality as it was hostility. This Pharisee wanted Jesus to be out of his element. And so he brought Jesus to his home, his element, so that he could watch Jesus, so that they could take notes on Jesus, so that they could observe Jesus. And the way that Luke records this story, there's an inference that this sick man that we're about to be introduced to was actually a plant of the Pharisees to somehow trap Jesus. These Pharisees knew that Jesus had a a bleeding heart, if you will, for broken people. They knew that Jesus would often respond positively towards folks that were sick or suffering or hurting. He was known to break, in their eyes, the Sabbath laws to do the work of healing. If Jesus did not keep the Sabbath, he would be discredited as a rabbi. If, if Jesus is such a great teacher, then he will do whatever it takes to maintain the image of the law. And yet, if Jesus breaks the Sabbath, or if he chooses not to break the Sabbath and allows this man to continue to suffer, then he'll lose the favor of the people. It is an unwinnable situation for Jesus. If he didn't heal this man, he would lose the popularity that he had so stored up. He would come off as harsh and uncaring, and there's no way, no way that Jesus would be able to win this situation. The Greek word, by the way, being used in verse 1 for watch carefully is paratereo. Paratereo. When Scripture tells us that they were watching Jesus, it doesn't mean that they were watching Jesus with awe and reverence. They weren't watching Jesus with an idea of worshiping him. Last week, was the Super Bowl. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And there was a player that I began to really watch, and his name is Tyreek Hill. Tyreek Hill is a wide receiver for the Kansas City Chief, and it's said that Tyreek Hill is the fastest man in the NFL. They say that he can run the 40-yard dash in a sub-4-2 time. Now that is almost as fast as me. And I was amazed with Tyreek Hill's speed. He, not only could he run really fast, but he was able to catch incredible balls and he was able to perform all types of incredible balancing and maneuvering as he was running. I was watching him with amazement. And yet, 
That's not the way that these Pharisees were watching Jesus. This Greek word actually means that they were watching him, but they were watching him with a bit of a side eye, if you know what I mean. They were watching him with doubtfulness. They were watching him with skepticism. They were watching him with a questioning heart. This was no friendly lunch date. They were hoping to make this Jesus' last supper. The Pharisees invited Jesus so that he could be watched. They invited Jesus so that he could be scrutinized. They invited Jesus to dine so that maybe they might find a weakness in his teaching that they could exploit. They invited Jesus to come so that they could figure him out, so they could discover his motives, and so that they could somehow put Jesus into a box that they could control. There was no humility in the invitation of the Pharisees to Jesus. There was no desire at all to learn from Christ. There was just a desire to use Jesus. And perhaps they would successfully trap Christ and thus raise their status among the peers. Can you imagine if somehow this Pharisee who invited Jesus to come over and eat with him, if this Pharisee could somehow discredit Jesus, finally somebody would be able to do it? Don't you imagine that his peers, the other Pharisees, would, would probably carry him through the streets. They would be so proud of him. If this Pharisee could fool Jesus, his contemporaries would count him as a hero. He would earn their respect of, of not only the elders, but finally of the people embarrassing Jesus could serve as a launching pad for a more powerful career for this Pharisee. This Pharisee was chomping at the bits to get to Jesus. You know, as I read this story, the one thing, there are many things that I love about Jesus, but the one thing that I love about Jesus in this story is that he will go anywhere that he's invited. He will go anywhere where he is invited. Friend or enemy, it does not matter to Jesus. He's going to come if you invite him. Love him or hate him, if you invite him, he's on his way. Isn't that great? Love him or hate him, he's going to come. If, if you're coming to Jesus as a broken sinner or a shameless skeptic, if you invite him, he will respond. Because Jesus always responds Trust me, Jesus can handle our questions. He certainly can handle my paltry questions, and he could certainly handle the questions of this Pharisee. This, these Pharisees thought they had trapped Jesus, but they had only thought that. They didn't really trap him, and you and I both know it. Jesus has stood the test of time. He's faced the smartest of the smart. He's proved himself to be wiser than the wise. And I love that Jesus is confident. I love the fact that he's confident as these humans lay out such a weak trap for him. Friends, remember that Jesus is the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. There's a great quote by Charles Spurgeon talking about God's word, and we all, we all know that Jesus is the word that became flesh. And it, Charles Spurgeon says this, the word of God is like a lion. You don't have to defend a lion. All you have to do is let the lion loose, and the lion will defend itself. Oh, Jesus is not going to be overwhelmed. He's not going to be outdone. He's going to go wherever he's invited. Whether it's a friend or foe, Jesus is always going to come. Friends, remember, no matter what your attitude is towards Jesus, if you invite him in, he will be there. 
Matthew chapter 9, verses 10 through 12 It talks about the kind of folks that Jesus would be with. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came. And they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Oh, Jesus hung around all types of people. People that you wouldn't think Jesus would recline with. Jesus reclined with. Uh, In my mind's eye, I often think that Jesus would certainly come and worship with us. No doubt he would. But I also believe that Jesus would go some places that we might raise our eyebrows at today. That he might spend time with people that, that maybe you and I might be a little embarrassed to be in front of. Oh, Jesus hung out with all types of folks. And he's always going to come if he was invited. So we have Jesus' invitation in verse 1. And then we have an introduction. We see Jesus' introduction in verse 2. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. After accepting the invitation, Jesus is immediately introduced to a man suffering from dropsy. And most people, by the way, don't know what this disease is, but it's commonly referred to today as edema. And it can also be seen as congestive heart failure. And not to be graphic, but this man was dealing with a severe amount of fluid retention in his body. If you were to read the same passage that we just read here this morning, if you were to read it in the New Living Translation, it would read like this. There was a man whose arms and legs were swollen. There was a man whose arms and legs were swollen. This man had never received proper treatment for his illness, and his body was beyond repair. His body was beyond modern-day medicine, doctors and physicians. His hands, his feet, his neck, his legs would have been painfully swollen. His extremities would have been hot to the touch, red to the sight. He wouldn't have been able to walk. He would have struggled to breathe. Friends, let me just share with you, he was dying. This man that was brought to Jesus, he was dying. And chances are this man was elderly and his family probably was just trying to make him comfortable. This man was a lost cause. There was no saving him. There was no way of of making him better. The Pharisees were hoping that Jesus would finally meet a case that was beyond his ability to heal. This morning, have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you or someone that you know is a lost cause? There's no saving you. You're far too gone. There's no way to make you better, to heal your heart, to bandage your brokenness. And you might not say it out loud, but you think that you are beyond Jesus' love and liberation. You're just too far gone. And to make matters worse, you're surrounded by people who question the cure. Jesus was the answer to this man's sickness, his spiritual sickness and his physical sickness. And yet all the people that are in that room are questioning, is Jesus really the cure for you? Imagine for a moment you're this man. You know that you're dying. You're dying slowly and painfully. And as I read this story, The one thing that's missing from this gentleman is a statement of faith. He's actually not quoted at all in this story. He has no lines in this play. He never gives a statement of faith. He is never told to go pray, to wash himself, to attend church, to sing a song, to give to the poor. 
He's not told to do any of those things. We just know that this man, he was hanging around. He was a trap, hoping to be sprung by the Pharisees. He was an innocent pawn being used. And we have no idea if this man had faith in Christ, if his family desired for him to be healed, or even if they were requesting that he was to be healed. This man just shows up in our story. And he has no lines Just a part to play. Simply put, Jesus knew what this man needed and he just gave it to him. Jesus is able to cut through our sickness, our blindness, our infirmities, our muteness, and he just gives us our, or excuse me, gives us his healing presence. Have you ever prayed and you feel like, God, are you even hearing me? Jesus, can you even hear my prayers? Or, or better yet, have you ever prayed and you didn't even know really what to say? Maybe your heart was just hurting so bad. Maybe you were in a moment where you were just washed in grief and you had no idea what to even say in that moment. And you're wondering to yourself, if I don't know what to pray, does Jesus know what I need? And the answer is yes. Jesus does know what you need. And in Romans chapter 8, Scripture tells us that not only do, are there times in our life where we don't even know what to pray, but here's the good news. Jesus prays for us. He prays for us. Even when we don't know what we need, even when we can't talk, even when we can't communicate, Jesus knows what we need. This man doesn't speak. He doesn't have a line. And yet Jesus knows exactly what he needed. Friends, if you're looking for healing, there's only one true place to go. And of course, that's Jesus. I want you to think right now about what you need healing from. We all need healing. Every single person in this room, if you share the identity of being a human, you need to be healed from something. Perhaps you've been holding on to it for a long time. Could it be something that's physical, something mental, an addiction that you want to be set free from? Friends, bring it to Jesus. Maybe you're thinking that you have to accomplish a checklist of of to-dos and stay stay away from a a checklist of to-don'ts, if that's a word. You have to-dos and to-don'ts. You got to do the to-dos and you got to do the to-don'ts in order for Jesus to love you. And friends, that's a lie. It's just a lie. It's not true. All that's required for your healing is your presence. I love the fact that this man was healed because he put himself or he allowed himself to be placed in the presence of Christ. And Jesus knew exactly what he needed. He needed his healing, a willingness to show up exposed to Jesus. No hoops to jump through, just Christ. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 30, it says, A vast crowd brought him people who were lame, blind, crippled, those who couldn't speak, and many others. They laid them before Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He healed them all. That's a lot of illnesses. That's a lot of diseases. We see Jesus' invitation. We have this introduction between Jesus and this man with dropsy. And now we have a question that Jesus gives. He has 
an interrogation. We see Jesus' interrogation. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And they remained silent. They pleaded the fifth. (laughs) Jesus, we don't want to incriminate ourselves, so we plead the fifth. And he took him and he healed him and he sent him away. And he said to them, which of you having a son or an ox has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day would not immediately pull him out? Oh, man, they had him. They had Jesus right where they wanted him, right where they wanted him. And then Jesus goes on and messes it up. He can be frustrating like that. Answer for me this question. What do you value most in life? What do you value most in life? For some, you value your faith. You'll give that Sunday school answer. That's a good answer, by the way. If I were to ask you, what do you value most? You'd raise your hand because you're in church and you'd say, Jesus. That's a good answer. Some of you might say, salvation, I'm saved. That's a really good answer too. Those are the two best answers you can have. But for some of us, if we were to get really, really honest, you might assign value to more worldly things. And Jesus essentially asked these Pharisees what they value the most in life. Do they value the soul of a human being more than they value their precious rules, policies, and procedures? You see, these men bristled at Jesus' willingness to work and to heal on the Sabbath. Yet, if they had a family member or a tool of work fall into a well on a Sabbath day, they would not stop working to save those lives. For the Pharisees, an ox was more treasured than life of the suffering man that had been brought to Jesus. The Pharisees valued life, but some lives were more valuable than others. See, the Pharisees valued life, but some lives were more valuable than others. Now, guys, is that really any different than where we are today? Is that not indicative of the culture that we live in right now? We value life, we say it, and yet, by our actions, we tend to value some lives more than other lives. Jesus clearly states that all lives are valuable. All people deserve to be saved, not just family and friends, but strangers struggling with sickness. And Jesus is trying to help these Pharisees see just a little bit deeper. He's trying to help them go further in their faith to discover God's heart for other people. They've gotten stuck on the law. They've gotten stuck on their rules. They've gotten stuck on the policies and procedures. And for the record, For the record, the law was a blessing given by God to man. But man turned that blessing into a God and the law became their savior. That's the problem with the law. The law was given so that we could understand what sin is and that we need a savior. It it wasn't given to us to be our savior. And that's where the Pharisees parted with Jesus. Jesus looked at at the law as an instructive tool to show us that we are sinners needing to be saved by grace through through the power and redemptive work of a Savior dying on a cross. And yet the Pharisees said, no, 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 no. The law is a blessing. It shows that we are sinners. And if we keep it, that is our salvation. The only problem is it's impossible to keep the law. It's impossible to keep the law. We're guilty today. Even, the, even today, we're guilty of these things. 
We have humans who assign great life to one group over a different group. If you're an American, and this is just true, if you're an American, generally we assign more value to Americans than we do people from Afghanistan. We think that that we're somehow better. Our world tells us that some ethnicities are more valuable than others. Unborn life is not seen as treasured or important, but something to be snuffed out when it's inconvenient or when it's difficult. Those who celebrate faith and hold to biblical values are tolerated. We are tolerated until those values infringe on people's relative truth or shifting moralities. We experience that, don't we? Oh, you can be a Christian, you can love the Bible, and you can live God's Word until it steps on my toes. And then it's not so good to be a Christian anymore. Oh, friends, this is a dangerous world that we live in when we value Christ above all other things. It sets us on a collision course. It sets us on a confrontation tour of the world. Jesus valued souls. He valued people. He loved others. And yet, that was a direct confrontation to these Pharisees. When Jesus demands to know what the values of these religious leaders are, he puts himself on that path to persecution. We all know what's coming for Jesus at the end of Luke. We all know what's going to happen, and yet the same holds true with us. When we stand for Christ, when we stand for biblical truth, we put ourselves at odds with the world. When we fight for the unborn... When we stand for what biblical marriage is, when we care for all groups, all immigrants, all refugees, when we demand for people to be treated with dignity and justice, when we leave political parties behind and start filtering our views through the lens of God's word, when we place kingdom citizenship above all other allegiances, when we confess that we value the souls of men over the trinkets of the world, we set ourselves up for persecution, hatred, and even martyrdom. So what do you value? Is it Christ above all? Above all. Matthew chapter 2, verse 12 Jesus' words of how much more value is a man than a sheep. So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus says, how much more valuable is a man over an animal? Of course it's good to do, on the, do good on the Sabbath. Last one right here. It says that we have an invitation We see Jesus' introduction to this man with dropsy. We see him interrogate the Pharisees with an honest question, and yet we see the Pharisees' irritation. Jesus was very, very irritating, by the way, to the Pharisees. I don't know if you're aware of that. He was very irritating to the Pharisees. And in verse 6, and they could not reply to these things. So after Jesus heals this man, he poses a question concerning value the Pharisees could not answer. And by the way, this is not going to be the last time that they were left speechless. You might remember the story of the woman who was brought to Jesus. She was pulled out of her home and they threw her on the ground. She had been caught in the act of adultery. And these Pharisees said, Jesus, are you going to let her go? Are we going to keep the law and stone her to death? And Scripture tells us that Jesus knelt down, he began to draw on the dirt, and he had those wonderful words, 
He said, he who is without sin cast the very first stone. And scripture goes on and says that they were silent before Jesus. And it says the, the elders walked away first. They were the first ones to drop their rocks and they left from oldest to youngest. Wouldn't be the first time or the last time that Pharisees would be left speechless. Wouldn't be the first time they thought they had Jesus captured and cornered and yet Jesus somehow was able to wiggle his way out, leaving them with truth. These men were caught in their selfishness. They were tied to their laws and their lack of compassion was on full display for everyone to see. They thought they had boxed Jesus in, but in reality, Jesus is in control. In reality, Jesus is always in control. He's always in control. Make no mistake. And it all started with a little irritation. Over the past several months, I have... Uh, I've taken up running, and I, I've gotten to where I really like it. I, I really do. And, and I run with nothing chasing me either. And so I do it voluntarily. Uh, but, but I've taken up running, and I had an old pair of, of shoes that I was uh, running in, and, and, and I started to notice that I had a little bit of an irritation in my, in my shoe. I, I don't know if it was a rock, a pebble, or anything, but it was just kind of bothering me as I ran. But it didn't bother me enough to change my direction. It didn't bother me enough to change my course. It didn't bother me enough to, to, to check out my foot or, or maybe even to go buy new shoes. And so you know what I did? I just kept going on. I kept going on my way, doing my thing, just having that little irritation. Well, do you know what happens to little irritations over time if they're not fixed? They become big irritations, big irritations. And what happened is my, my big toe had begun to rub an area in the inside of my shoe. And so my toe was rubbing in that little area, a little crease in my shoe over and over and over and over again. And then I went from a small irritation to a really big blister. And you know what that big blister did? It sidelined me. I wasn't able to run like I like to run. So I had to stop for a little while and let my toe get healed. But in the process of dealing with that irritation, I began to examine things and said, you know what, maybe I need to change my course. Maybe I need to do something different. Maybe I need to go a different direction. And so I did. I went out. I got me some new socks. That was good. I went out and got me some brand new shoes. That was also, also really good. And after a while, I was right back at it. But I was running faster, stronger, better, and further, all because I got rid of the irritation in my shoes. Sometimes an irritant can be a positive thing. Jesus was an irritation to those Pharisees. And friends, let me tell you, Jesus can be a really good irritation for all of us. Maybe there's something in our life right now that Jesus is just sort of picking at, that Jesus is convicting us of, some kind of act, some kind of deed, some kind of thought, some kind of a behavior. And that little irritation, if it's not solved quickly, it can become a large irritation. And friend, Jesus is saying it's not too late to change course. It's not too late to change direction. He was giving these Pharisees, even these Pharisees, he was giving these Pharisees chance after chance, time after time, to change. And they did. At least we know one of them did. Old Nicodemus, he changed. Nicodemus was one of the few, actually, that came to take Jesus' body to have it buried. 
And Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, a religious elite. It may have even been one of him. That, uh, maybe he was there at this lunch, this gathering with Jesus. And yet Jesus irritated him just enough to save him. And friends, maybe this morning, and Jesus has been dealing with you. Maybe today you would like to say, you know what, I'm ready. I'm, I'm tired of going my direction. I, I want to go the Jesus way. I want to be more concerned about people than policies. I, I want to make sure that I'm more about love than legalism. You could give your heart to Christ this morning. Would you bow your head with me? And let's turn Jesus' words into our witness. Lord Jesus, we come before you today thanking you for a time of worship. Father, we ask that you would bless us. Father, thank you for allowing your word to speak in such clear, wonderful, beautiful ways. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Lord, I'll be honest with you, I see myself in that story. I'm the one that's sick. I'm the one that needs a Savior. And Lord, you healed me. Lord, bless this message and Lord, allow us to make a decision today or someone to make a decision today that would glorify and honor your kingdom. And we pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for tuning in to today's podcast, and we hope to see you again on Sunday morning. Of course, you can also watch our services live on YouTube. Simply search Eastern Shore Baptist Church on YouTube, and at 10.05, our broadcast starts. We hope to see you soon. God bless you. And again, visit our website, www.myesbc.net. God bless you, and we'll see you next week.